0: Our scripture this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 2 and 29 through 31. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, says says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins." He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Today is the fourth. Oops, <laughs> different than the welcome. Huh? Uh, today is the fourth Sunday uh, through this and last Sunday of this um, pain and healing series that I've been preaching. Uh, uh, my, I should say myself and Elisa have been preaching. Um, today, after the sermon, you have an invitation to go to those tables that are at the very end of both sides of this platform and write with, um, with a sharpie on a piece of cloth, um, your feelings, your thoughts, your prayers about, uh, everything that transpired in the church last year. Uh, many of you have feelings about that and we invite you to, um, to to put him down on that piece of cloth that will uh, be transformed into a piece of art. Uh, you have to trust me on this one. Um, me and, and Siri. You have to trust me and Siri on this one and Sue and and Holly that um, a beautiful piece of art will come out of those things and those things will be forever contained by God in that piece of art. If you do not have feelings about what happened last year or were not here last year or didn't know what happened last year, um, you can still come and write about your own pain journey because we all have it. I said before, this is part of our human condition. If you have already written on those pieces of cloth, today by all means, you are welcome to come back to the table and write some more or write about something else. Um, Because it's the last Sunday we do this, you are most welcome to do what you need to do we are doing this to achieve some level of healing, and today I'm talking about that hope of healing that we all share. So Isaiah, I, uh, or as you know, I lived for 14 years in New England, so we tend to say Isaiah. Um, <laughs> it's not Argentinian accent though, <laughs> more Boston than anything. Um, for, for many, many years, people thought that uh, the whole book of Isaiah was written by the same person. There's only a problem with that. It covers like two centuries. So it's a little hard for one person to have written uh, all those things. Um, the latest uh, iteration, which is from the 18th century, really, um, is that there are three authors to the book of Isaiah. That is a compilation of three books. Uh, The first one being uh, chapters 1 to 39 uh, is about uh, the judgment of God on Jerusalem and Judea and all the nations, really, um, for being far away from God and disobey God. The the second book, starting on this verse 40, um, is... um, the, the writing during the exile in Babylon, which was God's way to show Israel uh, and Judea that they uh, needed to come to terms with God and, 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 um, and come close to God. And then um, I think it's in uh, uh, chapter 55 that the third book of Isaiah begins, and this is the writing after that exile. Uh, after that exile that coincides with the story of Jeremiah uh, I'm sorry the story of Nehemiah as you probably recall when he comes back to try to rebuild the city that had been destroyed in the temple uh, the the building of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple is also one of the uh, purposes of other, in other books of the Bible um the prophet Jeremiah talks about uh, during the second, the second period, the period of exile, um, talks uh, crying about the, the, the fate of uh, Jerusalem, the, the holy city. And, um, and then there's one particular song that is written by Jeremiah uh, Psalm 137 that I will mention a little later, um, also expressing feelings about this period, the period of exile. Uh, the difference between the Psalm 137 and the, the second uh, Isaiah is that in the second Isaiah, the emphasis is not so much on the covenant of God with God's people, but rather on the holy nature and grace of our Lord uh, God. That's one of the main differences. Um, In the Psalm 137, Uh, Jeremiah says how can we sing? You tell us to sing because the people of Israel were well known by their uh, artistic abilities. And they sang and they used instruments. You remember King David, he was one of them, a musician himself, and, and he loved to do music and sing. So the they, the Babylonians asked him, sing to us, sing to us. You know, they had instruments and sing to us. In, in in Psalm 137, Jeremiah says, how can you ask us to sing if we are far from our trees and far from our city and far far from our place when we are in captivity we cannot sing how can we worship God if we are not in God's place that was the um, that's a summary of what Psalm 137 says and how um, the people felt about um, being away being in exile Isaiah has a different um view of things doesn't talk about the suffering of the people so much as I, the second Isaiah it talks about how God's grace will redeem them and bring them back how they can be consoled how they can be uh, hopeful that there is a better future and the better future for those people in those days meant we're going back home um, this uh, second, uh, I say, I was written uh, in the sixth century before common era. Okay. So the thing is that this difference is very important to me. The difference between seeing God as the God who is far away and whom we cannot worship because we are not in God's territory. <laughs> We are not in the right place. And and the idea that we can be consoled and have hope is made by the difference, just one difference, and that is grace. I thought that it's important that since we are urban grace, we we all know what urban means. We are the downtown church. Um, We talk a little bit about grace. Grace is what makes that difference. Grace is where hope is born. Grace means that uh, although we are suffering now, we can look to the future and know that God's love will embrace us, will pick us up, will renew us and restore us, and that we will be able again to walk in the light. And for us, that light is the light of Christ. Grace. Grace is a funny thing because grace is something we receive from God. But it's also something that we can give to others. We can receive it from other people and we can give it to other people. And my contention has always been that since since God has given us so much grace, it is a responsibility to share it around with the, with the world, to share it with other people, to share it with brothers and sisters in the church, to share it with people who are passers by, passerbys uh, on the street, to share it with a world that is in pain. Grace is applied to pain and produces hope. That's, in my experience, that's how it works. So, last week, we, the staff went on a retreat, and it was a beautiful retreat, and we had our meetings at the library of this place, this Catholic retreat center, beautiful, and the library was all ours for the uh, 24 hours we were there. And I was looking at the books. I love books. And since I have an empty library in my office right here, I saw a full library and I started looking, you know, at the books. And then I found this book from the, oh, probably from hmm, the 80s or 90s by Chuck Swindoll, of all people, who is called What's So Amazing About Grace? And I I was excited because I read that book back then. And it's it's a nice book. And if you don't like Jack Swindle, uh, uh, you should read his chapter 13. Chapter 13 in that book is very interesting. I, I like it a lot. What's so amazing about grace? What's so amazing about grace is that we have the capacity to extend grace to others, not only to give, but also to receive. He says, uh, when somebody wants to do something nice for you and you don't let them, you are not being gracious. We need to be gracious receivers of the gifts of others, of the love of others. So hope is born of grace. And I think that if we have any hope that we will be healed in this congregation it needs to be born for extending grace from extending grace to one another Extending grace to those who see the facts differently. Extending grace to those who think differently. Extending grace for those who even talk differently because they use a different vocabulary to refer to facts that took place or people who were involved. We need to extend the grace of being there with them and remembering that we are one church. So, back to that hope. Somebody asked me this week, I've been having a lot of conversations, uh, probably prompted by this series of preaching, a lot of conversations about these topics. And somebody asked me, How would healing look like for us? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Well, first, I can say it would, like, it, it would look like a very nice new piece of art in our sanctuary. <laughs> um, so I want to say that hope of healing, that the, the, the healing will look like healing for everybody, for everybody involved. Sometimes when we talk about healing, we become a little self-centered, And we need to extend grace and realize that everybody involved needs healing. It would mean healing for the victim of what took place. It would mean healing for the pastor involved. It would mean healing for the congregation and healing for the leaders, for everyone. Think for a second about this. How would it look if we came to church, not thinking about, oh, you were one of those council people back then, or thinking, oh, you were one of those who were criticizing the council people those days, but rather, come. Shake my hand, give me a a hug. You are my brother, you are my sister. You are there for me and I'm there for you. So the hope, the first level of hope we have is that kind of healing. The healing of a community that can continue to be a community the healing of a community that can come together with everybody you know I want I want to give you another piece of information right now I am contacting all the people. well I should say most of the people I don't know of all because I I was not here back then but I'm contacting the people who left the church because they need healing too And because healing for this congregation would mean for them to come back. If they're not settled in another congregation, because that's, you know, that's the right, and we'll respect that. But if they're not, and my first contact has been an email asking them, are you in another congregation right now? You want to talk to me? (laughs) You don't know me, but I'm the transitional pastor. I'm new, and I feel that this is important we have a conversation. So I'm trying, I'm reaching out to everybody who uh, has left the church last year. The second level of hope that we have is the hope of unity, embrace, and a future of justice. This is very important because we are a church that really believes in social justice, really believes in the concept of justice to everyone. Justice is for everyone. So we need to stay away from institutional self-preservation and we need to walk into the realm of seeing each other As children of God. And if you think that children of God are perfect, think again. (laughs) Uh, Or go home and look at yourself in the mirror. I know when I do, I'm far from perfect. But unity, unity is not uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that From now on, we are healed, sealed, stamped, and sealed. And from now on, we all think the same way. It, It will never happen. It will never happen. It's not good for it to happen. It's not that what God expects from us. If God wanted uniformity, he would have made us all the same. And we're not all the same. Life would be very boring if we were all the same. And you know how I feel about boring Embrace, being able to embrace each other goes beyond agreeing with each other. Sadly, we live in a country where we came to such a, uh, such a divisive position, positions in politics that trickled down to the fact that it's almost impossible to talk to people who don't think like us. And in that has been uh, perpetuated by social media where you can easily erase friends who say the things you don't like. Social media where you uh, express your, your feelings about something or your th- thoughts about something and, and of course all those who are your friends agree with you so this must be the right position. We live in difficult times. Difficult times to talk to people who think differently than us. We become unsettled very quickly. We become a little aggressive very quickly. So when that happens to you, or if that's the temptation you have in your life, remember that we are the church, that we are the people of God, that God has given us enough grace that we can extend it in those difficult conversations. Here's another piece of information for you. It is my intention on September 24, which has not been confirmed yet, but as soon as we announce it, it will be for sure. We will have a pre-worship conversation for those who want to participate. A conversation that will be about sharing feelings, thoughts, prayers. Sharing with one another. Why pre-worship? 9.30 in the morning. Why pre-worship? Because whatever that transpires in that conversation, after that we will worship together to remind us who we are. remind us who we are in Christ. And a future of justice. That's the hope. A future of justice for all. I don't need to repeat that. A future of justice. And then hope. The third level of hope is the community a community to be our community, to be restored, to be restored. Restored to a place where we can say honestly that we are on our way to be who we want to be. Perhaps in the past we have used to commonly the Even when we say the the welcome here every Sunday, we are this kind of community. We are that kind of community. Perhaps we need to change that to we want to be this kind of community. We want to be that kind of community because we are all on our way. So, we are not perfect and we have not yet become the ideal church we all want. I'm going to borrow this expression from Justo Gonzalez, who is a a Cuban theologian who says that we Latinos don't have an innocent history. He's Methodist. We don't have an innocent history and we know it. Sometimes here in America, we are presented with an innocent history. There's a good explanation for everything we have done, and we have always been the good people in the movie. And and, and that permeates the culture, and that 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 snuck out, snuck into the church. And the church wants to present a past that is perfect and innocent. We've always been good. We've always done the right thing. But you know what? Things that were not done right by anybody are part of our history. We cannot erase them, we cannot pretend. So I've been talking about transparency a lot. Let us not try to pretend that we are perfect. We don't have an innocent history, but we move forward in hope of forgiving Forgiveness and forgiving. That was not a mistake. In hope of healing and in hope of restoration. Our church is to move forward together. And that's how we come to the acceptance. I've been preaching about denial, and Elisa preached about anger, and I preach about sadness, and today, we need to come to the point of accepting the kind of history we have and the kind of community we are and the kind of community we want to be. Embrace that, and healing and restoration will come our way. God bless us all. And now, as, as, as we end this part, please come to the tables as Mandla um, does some music for us. Thank you.